Welcome to Madison's Notes, the official podcast of Princeton University's James Madison Program in American Ideals and Institutions. I'm your host, Nino Scalia. Our website is jmp.princeton.edu, and our Twitter handle is at Madison Program. It's great to have you with us. Hello, and welcome back to Madison's Notes. I'm your host, Nino Scalia, and our guest today is Gigi Georges. Gigi has had an extensive career in politics, public service, and academia. A former White House special assistant to the president and communications director for the New York City Department of Education, she has taught political science at Boston College and served as program director for the Harvard Kennedy School's Innovation Strategies Initiative. She and her family live in New Hampshire, and Down East, Maine. She joins us today to discuss her beautiful new book, Down East, Five Maine Girls in the Unseen Story of Rural America. Gigi Georges, welcome to Madison's Notes. Thank you so much, Nino. It's great to be here. Now, your book is about a place, Washington County, Maine, Down East, and a people, specifically five young women who are not only from Down East, but as you say, they are of Down East. Let's begin with the place. Where is Down East and what sort of place is it? So Down East Washington County is about an hour's drive north of one of the most well-known parts of Maine, Bar Harbor, or as we often call it, Acadia. Uh, it is um, incredibly isolated geographically despite its relative closeness to Bar Harbor, whereas I write in the book, you, off, you draw busloads and billionaires yeah. uh, every summer. Um, it's also, um, it, it's incredibly geographically sparse. So a lot of people don't know that Maine is the most rural state in the nation. Uh, and Washington County is pretty much um, at a tie for being the most rural county in that oh, most rural state in the nation. It has literally 12 people per square mile. Wow. So if you think about it, um, right? If you, if you had the same density in Manhattan, you'd have 275 residents in Manhattan, not 275,000, right? 275. So it is really, really spread out. Uh, and it's also, it's also not only geographically isolated, but, um, but incredibly challenged in many ways economically. Um, and we can get into that a little bit more, but that is sort of the setting of the place. Now, I read your mini bio at the beginning there. You've had a career working in the highest reaches of government and teaching at some of the nation's preeminent institutions of higher learning. So what brought you down east? So family life brought us down east. We, I, like, as you said, I, I spent a lot of time in, um, in various policy circles, um, in academia, uh, really an urban kid. I grew up in born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, uh, spent a lot of time focusing on urban policy issues, both mm. in the White House and later on in New York uh, and various other places. And about 15 years ago, my husband and I decided to move to Northern New England. Um, we started to raise our daughter, who's now nine. Uh, and um, we, um, we realized that um, this was much more the life that we wanted to live um, and ended up in Maine and in New Hampshire, where we now spend all of our time. 
Now, you mentioned there the economic difficulties that, that we find in this county, in Washington County, down east. Could you say a little bit more about the economic difficulties? I know that there uh, we have opioid use, broken families. What all is going on there? Yeah, it's, you know, in many ways, it's um, reflective of what's happening, unfortunately, and what has happened over time in many places in rural America. Yeah. And, um, you know, we've, we've all read and talked about it quite a bit. Uh, the economic challenges relate to uh, shutting down of factories, um, lost jobs. Uh, in this case, it was a lot around food, uh, fish uh, and uh, fish and lobster processing. Um, there is um, still a very, very strong lobster fishing industry there down east. That is the mainstay of the economy there. And that is doing well. But uh, in terms of other aspects, uh, including farming, uh, there's been a lot of dropping off and a lot of falling off. And so uh, that coupled with the unfortunate and really tragic opioid addiction situation, which we see in so many communities, yeah. um, it, it has really created some issues and some struggles and some challenges. Uh, but, you know, I, one thing I know we'll get to talk about is what I found and what is a really big takeaway in this book is that despite those challenges, the, the folks in down East Washington County are thriving. Yeah. Uh, they are um, such a model of community uh, that, um, and resilience and grit uh, and optimism um, that I just found it um, such an important story to tell. Let's go ahead and talk about the people. Like I said, it's a book of place and of the people of that place. You detail the lives of five young women. Why these five? How did, how did you choose them? So I had the really good fortune of uh, being, being uh, pointed in the direction of Down East Washington County, ultimately to these girls, by a, a dear friend of my husband and mine, Reverend Scott Planting, who um, has been a minister for many, many years and went on in Bar Harbor to run um, this wonderful nonprofit called the Maine Seacoast Mission, uh, which is rooted in faith and health and community around the islands of Maine and around Washington County. Um, and so Reverend Planning and I sat down um, now oh, five years ago, uh, and I said to him that I really wanted to get a better sense of what was going on in rural Maine, in the rural communities, because what I thought I was seeing uh, was very much at odds with what I kept, kept hearing and what we all continue to keep hearing about yeah. that dominant down narrative of rural America, yeah. right? So he said, go up the road an hour and what you'll find may surprise you. And he opened the door, he introduced me to the local school principal, local school superintendent. Um, they welcomed me in. Uh, they uh, allowed me to do some informal discussions with a bunch of the high school students because I wanted to get at that, that youth perspective. Yeah. Uh, and from there, uh, I found these five young women uh, who I thought taken together exemplified uh, life in Down East Maine and both the challenges and the opportunities that it holds. At, at this point, did you know that this would be a book or did that come later? I, it, it came a little bit later. At that point, I really thought, you know, that I was going to do a little bit more of an academic 
uh, paper on this. Yeah. I, I knew that there was something really interesting going on there. And uh, as I sat down with the girls, I realized that these girls were just excelling and they were, they were thriving. And some of them faced incredible difficulties, incredible challenges, uh, uh, each in their own way faced incredible challenges, uh, but they were so rooted in their community, in, their, in many of them in their faith um, and in their sense of belonging to Down East. And as you said, being of Down East, yeah. um, both to the nature, to the community, to families and extended families, to the church, that I thought, there is a book here because this story from the perspective, particularly of these young women, contemporary young women in rural America, really hadn't been told. Yeah. You mentioned how these young women were facing uh, extraordinary difficulties and challenges, and yet they're thriving. And while reading, I found myself constantly having to remind myself or constantly being reminded of just how young these young women are. And yet when you share their thoughts, their wishes, their fears, their steady stoicism and general approach to life and its peaks and valleys, they are so mature, wise beyond their years, we would say. Did you have that same experience? I had precisely that experience. In fact, I thought back to my, when I was 18 and I said, or 17 or even 20. And I said, there was no way I was like this, right? Um, It's remarkable, really interesting. Their sense of agency, their sort of sense of finding their way and um, and their resilience are extraordinary. I mean, there's there is young one young woman Willow who really encounters some tremendous difficulties uh, from very very early age, really from birth. Uh, her her dad is an opioid abuser. He's there's physical abuse in the house. She moves seven times before she's eight. She has a grandmother who is is sent to prison while she's living with her. Uh, it is a rough rough time, and yet. Willow has this tremendous sense of self, self-awareness, uh, recognition that she has a path to follow. And if anyone would be, we would say, should be the one who w- might escape, right? Yeah. Uh, want to escape, uh, run away. She's not running anywhere. No. She is tied to her community. She is tied to the wharf. She's tied to the natural surroundings. And she finds her way through with the help of um, extraordinary extended group of people around her uh, that are not her relatives, but, um, but take her in. And I thought that's just really great. You know, that's not a story of victimization. That is not a story of needing government to step in yeah. and take over her life. That yeah. is a story of agency and community. Yeah, and what explains that? Uh, where does this maturity in these young women come from? Is it just necessity? This is how they have to be if they're going to survive? You know, I I think perhaps in part it is that, but I think it's more than that. I I think that um, there is something about um, the way in which this community bands together. uh, And there is something about the way in which these girls know that even if their father might not be there for them. Their mother might not be there for them. Even if, as many as as many do, they you know they really don't know much about where the the next meal is coming from at times. Um, that there will always be people looking out for them. That are local people. 
and it it may be ad hoc, uh, but it is there and they can turn to someone in their school, they can turn to someone in their area of, of uh, living, um, they can turn to someone in their church and that there will be a depth around that um, uh, and a strength around that. Yeah. And I, I think it really does come from that. I, I also think that there is a premium place on the work ethic there. Mm. And so it's modeled everywhere. Um, these are folks there work very hard. A lot of them work in the lobster fishing industry. They may not own their own boats, uh, but they, they work on these boats. Um, they work in blueberry farming. It is hard work. Um, and it is something that from a very young age, um, pretty much every one, every one of these kids is brought in to be a part of it. Mm. And the expectations around that are, are very, very high. And there are no excuses yeah. allowed. The book has been out for a few weeks now. And presumably... Yeah. While you were working on the project, you were showing drafts to people, discussing with the residents of Down East what you were working on. Uh, what do the people from Down East or of Down East think of this book? Did, did they or do they understand why you thought it was important to tell their story? I think they do. Um, and I've been uh, so gratified. You know, it's such a gift, uh, you know, to, to be able to come into this community and basically spend four years uh, with these young women and with the circles around them. Uh, it was such a gift of trust. Uh, and I valued that from the beginning. And one of the things I did uh, as much as possible was to share where I was going as I was reporting and writing, what my thoughts were, um, and sort of to check my instincts and my sense of observation. And I think that helped in the end um, to get me and us to a place um, uh, as, that, that where the book itself is being really well received. Mm. And, um, and I've heard a lot in the last few weeks um, from, from folks in the community, from those I spent time with, um, from the girls themselves to say um, that they were really pleased that the story is being told because Wonderful. it is an untold story. And it is, as I write in the book, uh, the Valley of the Overlooked in mm. many ways, right? Because folks think of Maine and they think of lobster rolls and they think of <laughs> rocky beaches yeah. and they think, right? And it's vacation land. Well, you know, this is Maine. This is Maine. And this is rural America. Uh, and, and I think that um, there is a sense that um, it is a really good thing that this is being told. And not only that, that others need to tell this story too. And I hope that that's takeaway from this book as well. You mentioned there Willow and some of the difficulties that un unimaginable, I think, to, to most listeners and to readers of the book that she endured. And you also mentioned there that this is not the sort of young woman, despite what we might think, who's waiting or needs the government to step in and say, okay, we'll get your life under control for you. And yet there's an impulse, a natural and in some ways laudable impulse to readers and I'm sure listeners to try to figure out how to help, especially for idealistic young men and women who've had the luxury to grow up with these seemingly limitless opportunities and resources. The mindset is, how can I give to these people more of what I had or I have? Enter Sarah Barton, Grandma Sarah, a Down Easter through and through 
who worries about what progress so-called will do to home. Could you say a word about that tension there? Yeah, that was just, I thought, such a remarkable uh, set of moments, um, yeah. spending time with Sarah, Grandma Sarah. And Grandma Sarah, it, the setup is that uh, Grandma Sarah is uh, the grandmother of one of the five young women I follow, um, a young woman named Audrey Barton. And Audrey um, is a, uh, a, a leader in, in her high school, a leader in the community from a young age, um, earns this scholarship. She's a high school basketball star, and she's, she takes the team to for the first time ever to the state championship and they win and so she and she actually gets this um scholarship that's coveted to go to Bates College and when she gets there she finds that it's a mismatch that that liberal arts curriculum um and the environment more broadly are not going to give her what she wants and needs which is to return down east to be a speech pathologist, to work in the community and to help build and strengthen the community. Grandma Sarah, and she's, and they, this is a multi-generational Downey's family as so many are. Grandma Sarah, who is 83 when I meet her and she is um, unfortunately since passed, um, she sits in the kitchen with Audrey and Audrey's mom, these, these three generations, and they're talking about progress and life down east and grandma Sarah bemoans the the way in which progress has has seemingly taken away from down east uh, these simple pleasures the life where you didn't have to cross a highway to go to the Walmart to buy your things that you could yeah. just walk down the street or take your bike the way in which everything was right there uh, and um, and I talk about the way in which Audrey represents this sort of one foot in, in Sarah's sensibility and one foot in the future or the present and the future. And this notion that Sarah views progress with skepticism at best, but Audrey views progress as holding on to what is valuable and good and rich in places like Down East, that strength of community being greatest among them, uh, and moving that forward into the present day and into the future, incorporating technology, where, where Sarah bemoans those iPhones, right? Uh, incorporating technology, incorporating the way in which we, we can be connected in the simplest ways and also connected through the more progressive quote ways. Um, and, and Sarah, as Sarah, um, Sarah's vision in some ways fades, it does not disappear, mm. right, in these girls. Yeah. Um, it is carried forward in different iterations and that that's a healthy form of progress yeah. um, and certainly suited to life in rural America and something that perhaps we can all look to um, as, as an iteration of progress that is not to be looked down upon, but yeah. to be valued. In. This is a question that is a difficult question to ask, and I, I'm not entirely sure how to even put it to you. We were talking about this a little beforehand, but in this book, you recount numerous stories of young women who uh, become pregnant while in high school and college. Their college plans are derailed. High school plans are, are derailed. And yet, the word abortion 
doesn't appear once. And I think you, you told me beforehand that in your years working on this book, it didn't even come up then. That right. to, to me is, is, is very beautiful. Um, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on it and, and why you think that is. Yeah, you know, such an interesting observation and, and it did not come up once. And, it, you know, I think what it comes back to uh, is, you know, it is not um, prevalent uh, in, in Down East Washington County. Uh, it is not something that's talked about um, and it is not in, in the forefront. Uh, the choices that young women are making, and some don't, don't, you know, some have very, very limited choices, but the choices that young women are making um, are, are by and large to, um, to have families. Um, uh, and they may be doing so on their own, you know, um, single parenthood in yeah. Washington County broadly is rather high. Mm -hmm. um, but there is a sense that, um, again, there will be folks to help them. And the, the smallness of the community here is a virtue. Right? Yeah. Uh, it is something where um, folks do rally around each other. And so if a young woman uh, has a child out of wedlock, uh, it will be a difficult go, uh, but she can turn to those around her, even if not her immediate family. Um, and there are mentors, I, you know, I write about these wonderful teachers uh, in the school. Yeah. Uh, and there's this one, the art teacher, Franny, and, mm -hmm. and you know, she is this example. If a, if a young woman um, is in a situation where she's going to have a child out of wedlock, Franny is going to be there. Franny mm -hmm. says to the kids, you know, even if it's something small or large, you know, at one point she says, you know, if you, you're out and you've been drinking and you can't drive home and it's 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. or 3 a.m., you pick up the phone and call me and I'm going to come get you. I may look like hell, but I'm going to come <laughs> get you. And that is just this right minor, minute extent of piece that tells you that if you extend it out, um, from small challenges to big challenges, right? Um, that those folks are there. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know the answer, you know, but I, I, I can only speculate that, that that safety net, right? That communal safety net um, is, is what helps a lot of young women when they are in a situation where they, they may be faced with a decision of whether or not to have a child and, um, and, they, and they may go ahead because they know um, that there will be someone there for them and, and there will be a community there for them. Yeah. Obviously, the, the book is about five young women. So this is by nature, somewhat outside of the scope of the book, but what's going on with the young men? Yeah, it's an interesting situation. So uh, it's not to say that the young men are, are falling down, but I do think um, what I observed and, and I asked pretty, you know, I talked with... Um, at least, at least a couple of hundred folks um, outside of the girls over the four years who were in or connected to the community. And almost every one of them got this question from me, what's mm. going on with the young men? Uh, and no one really had the answer, uh, but it is true that the girls are by and large surpassing um, the young men in pretty much every facet 
uh, in academics, in athletics, in leadership, in community life. Um, and uh, I do think there is something to explore here. Uh, the principal of the high school perhaps put her finger on it best when she said, I think that um, we have been lifting up our girls um, a lot as a society, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but in doing so, we may have, in it, and I'm paraphrasing, we have, may have inadvertently um, given the boys the signal that, that they are lesser. Or sure. that they are being pushed down, and you know this is a this is a conversation that is is being had in circles to a certain extent, um, and I think that perhaps there is a truth to that um, that you see in in some of these young men, um, and it is a question I think that's really worthy of exploring further. November twenty sixteen, Donald Trump has been elected president of the United States. Van Jones, CNN talking head, says the election was a nightmare and parents are trying to figure out how to speak to their children the next morning. It was, in his words, a white lash against a black president. This analysis leaves out the hundreds of um, counties that voted for Barack Obama in 2012 and then for Donald Trump in 2016. Washington County, is one of these counties. 2012, they vote to send Barack Obama to the White House. Four years later, same county votes by a 16-point margin for Donald Trump. It's counties like this, like Washington County, like Down East, that will fascinate pundits for decades to come. What did you see? What did you see while researching this book that might explain this? Yeah, it's uh, so interesting. This was absolutely one of those counties. And what I saw was, uh, was really uh, people who, voters, people, residents, a community that was looking for someone to champion uh, their concerns, um, to recognize um, that uh, they are not the valley of the overlooked, right? That sees them that yeah. sees them. And we've had, there's been a lot of conversation about this, right? And, you know, let's, we'll start with J.D. Vance and Hillbilly Elegy and, you know, that aha moment, right? Uh, around the election when, when back in 2016, there was all of this attention, right? Suddenly on rural America to yeah. say, well, why? Well, why? And particularly around the many counties that went from Barack Obama to Donald Trump, right? And so um, I saw, you know, it was a moment, right? And then it, it does seem that, that that conversation faded away, right? And mm -hmm. we went back to, as a, as a, right, we more broadly, the media in particular, went back to sort of looking at rural America um, it, as this place of hopelessness and despair, and and unfortunately as well with a, with a, with a, a, an overlay far too often uh, around the questions of race. Um, yeah. The folks in Down East Washington County, um, they are what their concerns are are around the health, the econ the health of their families, the health of the economy in their own communities um, around maintaining the values that they hold very dear um, and around being seen. And then more broadly than that, um, they want to continue to 
practice in their own way, uh, their own sense of community. Um, they want to be allowed to express themselves. Um, and, um, and, you know, there's a lot of optimism there. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, look, I think that um, 2016, Donald Trump tapped into um, that sense of wanting to look forward, yeah. right? Um, and so that I think continues on to this day. And that even through the really, really tough um, difficulties of the COVID overlay, where uh, a lot of these lobster fishermen, for example, couldn't, couldn't find a price for their fish, yeah. they maintained a sense of optimism that yeah. they would find their way out. Um, and I think, I think that's sort of at the root of, of where they are politically and otherwise. You mentioned J.D. Vance in his best-selling book, also published in, in 2016, Hillbilly Elegy. Became a number one New York Times bestseller and has since been made into a major motion picture starring Amy Adams. Um, it's a story about rural America, as your book is, but it's also a story, if you ask the average reader or listener or critic of, or a reviewer of the book, about one man's escape from a place perhaps better described as a prison. Your book is not that. Down East is not that. If Hillbilly Elegy is about an ascent or an escape, Down East is about these young women finding purpose in their rootedness. Could you say a word about that? Yes. So you just hit absolutely, Nino, on the central theme of this book and yeah. the way in which it diverges from uh, the J.D. Vance right, um, narrative. Uh, and um, and very consciously so. Um, the, the 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 girls. This is not a story of that one in a million who escapes in order to succeed. Uh, this is a story about these girls and more broadly uh, many many young people in the community who want to stay and build. They don't want to abandon their communities. They yeah. are tied to their communities in very deep and meaningful ways. They recognize the warts. They recognize, so this is not Pollyanna, right? They recognize that there are challenges. They recognize um, that there are ways in which their communities can do better and be better. But they believe in their communities. They believe in the lifestyle and in the ways in which these communities build around each other and, and, and are connected to each other. And they wanna make their lives there and they wanna raise their families there. And they see better things on the horizon while maintaining what is valuable. Um, they're also incredibly connected to the natural surroundings. Um, and that is a very big piece of it as well, very connected to the land and sea. Uh, but, but I would say, so, uh, so, so it is really interesting that, that and in many ways it was what prompted me to, to write this, that, that these uh, stories that we keep hearing about, about the need to escape are really only part of the story. And I think they do a disservice uh, to small towns, not just in Maine, but across the country. And it's time to celebrate those aspects of, of community um, and, and the centrality of those who want to stay.
Yeah. I'd like to celebrate those small communities right now for a second. And if it's all right with you, I'll read the last paragraph here of the epilogue to the book. I mentioned in your introduction that it is a beautiful book. Listeners will, will hear that right here. You write, today, the yearning for a sense of community is stronger than it's been in modern history. We feel the power of it as, by necessity, we turn our bodies inward. We self-isolate. We sidestep neighbors at grocery stores. We tighten our masks and learn to mark the measure of six feet. And yet, as we distance ourselves to ward off a cunning illness, we learn the value of connection that transcends physicality. It is something that Downeasters and millions of other small-town Americans have practiced for generations. And in the end, we are left to consider that perhaps it is not they who have been left behind, but the rest of us. If there's anything else you'd like to add to that, I, I would love to hear it. Yeah, so this just struck me so strongly, particularly during this, that, that, you know, continues to a certain extent, but certainly the height of the COVID lockdowns, right? Uh, that, that we um, don't really recognize that value. And this notion that we so often talk about the rural Americans as quote, the left behind. Yeah. Uh, not so, not so in any respect, if anything, um, despite the geographic isolation of places like Town East Washington County, they are so much less isolated than many folks who are living in, you know, high rises in Manhattan or Chicago yeah. or pick, pick a place, right? Pick a city. And, um, and going back to, going back to that importance of connectedness, uh, whatever it is, it could be, it could be a civic association. It could be just neighbor going into neighbor, um, uh, spending spending an evening playing, a, you know, a board game. Uh, it could be a lobster fisherman who who, you know, has an injury, and then the community rallies around and fishes his halls for the weeks in which he has to right has to lay off. Um, it could be any number of things. It could be the church suppers. You know, all of those micro examples build to something very powerful and meaningful. And in a time when we are so divided, mm -hmm. this notion that we can go back to that level and find each other and use this model, despite the challenges, use this model to find more connectedness with each other and perhaps to become more optimistic as a result of it, even when our lives are tough. I thought that was so powerful and so important. Um, and, it, and, and it took in many ways, you know, being locked down during COVID to, to ha and, and writing this at the same time to yeah. have that be crystallized. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's a coincidence that that so many of, of my friends who graduate from college and run off to, like you said, Manhattan or Chicago or L.A. or San Francisco, when this all hit, when COVID hit, they went home. They wanted to go home. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, hope that's, I hope they remember that as, as they go, go through life. How is Down East today? How are the Down Easters? You conclude the book with some of the mounting concerns of COVID and what COVID would do to the lives and livelihoods of the Down Easters. So how, how are they? 
Yeah, they're doing okay. You know, they came out of the, um, so again, the fishing industry being really the predominant industry uh, was really on the rocks. We didn't know um, if it would come out of it. You know, lobster is a communal food. It's a luxury food. Uh, it's a restaurant food. Uh, so there was a lot of worry. Uh, but they came through it. Uh, honestly, they came through it because in many ways they supported each other. It comes back to this theme. You know, they, they bought, I had, there's one woman who fishes, um, who's a lobster boat captain, a trailblazer, Olivia Marshall um, in the book, um, right. who is a mentor to one of the young women who becomes a lobster boat captain. And she says, you know, their, their neighbors are just buying each other's lobsters. Not because they eat lobster or they want lobster or they can even afford lobster, but they're doing it to support each other so we can get through this. Um, they're doing okay. They bounced back on that score and it's looking like a really good summer for them. Um, all of the tourists are coming back to Maine in droves uh, and then some. Um, and though tourism doesn't find its way to down east Washington County, unfortunately, um, there is um, a little bit of a ripple effect because of the lobster piece and also um, the blueberry farming, which mm -hmm. is which has been on the rocks as well. So they're doing well in terms of in terms of that bounce back um, economically, um, but they're also continuing to thrive in the way that they have um, from the very beginning. They were not hit hard by COVID, right itself, um, no. uh, but they did have to endure um, some of that lockdown. Um, um, sustained over them, although they had the benefit of sparseness. Uh, so they had to, they could naturally social distance. Um, right. So it's, 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 it's good. You know, there can always be better. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of work to be done there to, mm -hmm. to continue to make things better. All right. Gigi, a final question for you. How has your time down East and the time you spent with the people of down East changed you? Great question. It has given me such a greater sense of appreciation for the way in which folks down east, and I think folks in small towns across America, live in what they value. Um, I think about my young daughter, who is now nine, and I think about what I want her to be like, what kind of life I would like her to emulate uh, and what character I would like her to have. And then I think about these five young women. And if she has half the work ethic, hmm. uh, the resilience, uh, the sense of optimism in the face of challenges and the perseverance that these young women display as a result of the way in which they have grown up down East, then I will be a thrilled mother. Uh, I think that there is much to learn. Um, and I learned a great deal by spending these incredible four years with these amazing young women in their community. And I, my hope is that in reading this, um, folks will, also discover uh, the way in which small towns have something tremendous to contribute, not only to the national conversation, but to our own reflection of ourselves and our place in uh, this beautiful country um, yeah. and our appreciation for it.
Well, that was certainly my experience reading the book. Uh, I hope our listeners have gotten at least a small taste of that, but I encourage everyone to go out and get a copy of Down East, Five Main Girls and the Unseen Story of Rural America. Gigi Georges, thank you so very much for joining us today on Madison's Notes. Thank you so much, Nino. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you today. There you have it, Madisonians. Gigi Georges on Down East. I've mentioned this a few times already, but I'll say it again. Down East is a beautiful book, deeply moving and even inspiring. You can find a link to the book in the show notes of this episode, and I encourage everyone to get a copy. You will not regret it. That's all for us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Thank you for joining today's conversation with Gigi Georges, and I hope to have you back with us next time, here on Madison's Notes.